Hey, everybody. My name is Drew Baker. Welcome to The Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, and other cool people at my kitchen table. We tell stories, talk about our lives and interests, and we'll even touch on issues that are way bigger than food and wine. Nothing added and nothing taken out. On today's episode, I interview Megan Bell, winemaker and owner of Margins Wine in the Santa Cruz Mountains on the central coast of California. Margins Wines produces low intervention wines using organic grapes from underrepresented regions, vineyards, and varietals. All right, the table is set. Megan Bell's in the house. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hey, I, this is uh, the first interview that I've done uh, post-quarantine, and it's good to just like have an opportunity to reconnect with a friend and to like have something on the calendar. So thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah, you're welcome. I've been basically alone for the last two months, so I'm not not up on my talking skills, but I'm going to do my very best. <laughs> Amazing. So I, uh, this is going to be fun. I remember the uh, first time we really got to hang out and connect at the summer solstice festival last year. And uh, it was uh, at our farm. It was a weekend long adventure. We served lots of wine, drank lots of wine. The weather was great. We camped out. It was awesome. Uh, so that was, uh, that was really fun. Um, but it's been a while. I'm excited to catch up. Uh, so there was uh, I, I was doing a little digging on your website uh, just to kind of like prepare for this conversation. And so like some things that like I already like knew a little bit were that, um, you know, you studied at UC Davis and that you've made wine all over the world. Uh, and I want to get into all like have that like nerdy wine talk. Um, but before we kind of like dive in there, I thought that it would be cool to like rewind the tape. And uh, I want to know who is Megan Bell? Like, tell me your background story. Okay. Um, yeah, I can't believe it was a year ago that we we're at the farm. I, I can remember everything about that day perfectly. It's, it's wild how much time has passed. Um, so yeah, who is Megan Bell? Well, she's on her own journey of discovering that <laughs> uh, in process. Um, I turned 30 in two weeks and um, yeah, this company that I started when I was 25 is finally starting to feel real and like a legitimate way to do my life. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area and spent a lot of time outside like camping and going to summer camps and was always into like environmental stuff. Um, my parents aren't in the wine industry at all so I didn't have any family connections to wine or anything. I just decided that I was going to study wine when I went to college um, sort of randomly and sort it was sort of connected to my interests already because I knew that I wanted to work outside and I wanted a career path that was going to push me like directly into a field that was outside because I graduated high school in 2008 so it was right during the financial collapse <laughs> basically and there was really like the surplus of people that I knew who had recently graduated college with like an English degree, which is what I probably would have done if it wasn't 2008, um, who were like, I have no idea what I'm going to do now because I'm basically unhirable as is every single person who doesn't have this specific training and field. 
So that was a big factor of why I even chose wine was because it seemed like at the time it was really necessary to like be on the specific path. Um, and also my boyfriend at the time and I were brewing a lot of beer together. He was a bit older than me, so he could get his hands on the supplies. And um, we decided that we were going to start a joint winery brewery because that would just be so easy for us as people who were under 20. Um, and he would be in charge of the beer and I would be in charge of the wine. And I just needed to go to college for winemaking. So those things together were why I even went to Davis to do the winemaking program. Um, it wasn't because I was necessarily interested in wine. I wasn't for years. And I'm still not in the way that a lot of my peers are. Um, but I'm glad that I did it. And I, I think it would have been necessary no matter what career I was in that I'd be working for myself. Um, who is Megan Bell? A pretty quirky, uh, <laughs> strange person who doesn't agree with uh, bosses usually or like the way that other people do things. And I have a very specific way of doing things. And I think that that makes me really good at running um, my own company where I'm allowed to just do my own life. That's amazing. That is so practical. Like that's what I hear is that like, you know yourself well, like, you know what you're about and what you're looking for. And uh, that wine is just like a medium for allowing you to like be free and to exercise your own vision and creativity and sort of environmental conscience. And uh, that I think you, I think you chose wisely <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, it's cool to, uh, it's kind of like cool to see you like now reflect on that. Uh, even just after a few years and to, and to be so content with the decision that you made um, because that's like a rare blessing in this world, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't always been that way. Um, I'm coming out of a couple of months of being very content. I'm such a homebody and I, I've just really enjoyed um, being quarantined and it was really good for my mental health and I don't want things to open again. And uh, I feel horrible about saying that because so many of my friends work in service sector and everything. And I used to as well. And I know how important that is for people and the economy and everything. But um, not having to travel this year has been really, really nice for someone like me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Like, so on the other end of the spectrum, like I, I thrive off of like interpersonal relationships and the opportunity to connect with people. However, yeah. like the travel wears on you and, uh, you know, starting with Swaff in Chicago, right around the, uh, what was that? The first week of March, uh, just mm -hmm. before St. Patrick's day is kind of like whenever yeah. you hit the fan. And, uh, you know, from that trip, through now, I think I, you know, I've had like eight or nine trips canceled and it's like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like I'm getting pretty comfortable with this whole zoom meeting thing. And it's like, you get to see people when you want. And then when it's over, it's over and you get back to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm used to it too. I don't mind it so much, uh, especially now. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say about just the past versus now is that I was very unhappy with my decision to do this company up 
up until less than a year ago. Uh, and and I want to make that really clear. This is a big part of my story. I'm not, I'm very much a realist, um, very pragmatic, like you said, and I don't want to dress up how hard what we do is for anybody. And I think it's important that people know how hard it is um, financially and interpersonally and uh, all the consequences really of having your own company by yourself in in this age frame of your late twenties and what you do and don't miss out on if you're doing a business during that time. And that really got to me last year, uh, right around the time that I saw you was the beginning of it because I was so stressed about harvest and I was going to be starting to pay a lot more money for the winery space I was in. Um, my agreement was changing in August. So up until last year, I was always work trading for my space and I was paying, but like minuscule, barely anything, which is what made the business possible for the first like three and a half years, four years. And then in August of last year, I started paying a market rate to make my wine in the facility that I was in. And I was very afraid (laughs) of that financially. And I was, tired from having seven different jobs um, part-time to try to make everything work and just like to be able to afford food and rent really was all I was trying to do and um, these business trips last year were very stressful for me because I didn't have any personal money and I was like really conflicted about how I should be buying food during the business trip. (laughs) So um, it wasn't ever as relaxing as I think it might be in the future. And, you know, everyone that owns a business goes through this period of time where things seem really impossible and you really have to pay the price. And um, 2020 was supposed to be my, like, 2020 is my year. Uh, And I don't think this year is anyone's year, but this year is certainly a lot better for me than last year was as far as the business goes and finally graduating to be like a teenager business and it you know it looks like something that might actually be viable which um is a lot less depressing than last year where I was like why am I even doing this like this is your own wheels yeah anyway like this is such a waste of everyone's time and money wow bad decision making I should have just studied English um so that was last year and then this year is like no things are hard and they take a long time and that's the case for anybody and everybody no matter what their career path or life is and you know ups and downs and this year's definitely um an up despite all of the circumstances I'm so happy to hear that yeah so but I I resonate a bit when you were just kind of reminiscing on traveling with no budget and uh so like um some similar like I feel like there's a lot of parallels in our stories and um I'll spare you because this is about you <laughs> um but so many Someone of should interview uh, you for one of the episodes yeah, uh, but like one of uh you know some of my friends that I went to school with you know kind of went more the like traditional track let's work for another company and try and get <laughs> 
you know, sweet perks and all of that. And, you know, I was talking with one of my friends who also travels a lot, like, as I started traveling more to sell wine and, uh, and he was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. You just kind of expense everything. And I'm like, what do you, like, you can't expense everything if there's like nothing to expense it against. Like, I understand this, like, like, in principle, however, in reality, it just doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm totally with and, you. And it doesn't feel good to expense things when you're the one who's paying the expenses. It's yeah, different when you're like, oh, the company will pay for it. But right. like, it's just you. That like interaction. But like when you're winning against yourself, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, right. So I so something else uh, when I when I was on your website I, th- I think that uh, this is uh, you know a good time to bring this up you have a really cool page on your site where you thank in very great detail your backers as you call them and uh, I thought like um, you know since we've just kind of been chatting about how like your business is finally just sort of like you see the light at the end of the tunnel like you're you're in a good place. Um, but but you thank some folks that really have helped you get there. Can you tell uh, can you tell us a little bit about who your backers are and how you sort of like bootstrapped Margins Wine off the ground? Yeah, um, I was actually thinking about it yesterday because I almost never think about it. You know, um, yeah, I'm sure you understand. Like when when you're in the middle of your own journey, like you're not going back to reflect on like where you were before and how far you've come. You're just thinking about like how much you lack still because you keep growing and growing and then you realize how much more you lack. Um, and when you started, you thought, oh, by this point, I'm, I'll be golden, but you're not. There's always more, um, which is which is good. There's always more to learn, um, but there's also always lots more work to do and, and, um, compliance stuff to learn and all the things that, uh, you didn't even think of when you were getting started. Um, so when I got started, I was just like, oh, this is going to be so simple. I'll just have a Kickstarter campaign for $10,000. The only reason I chose that amount was because my friends, um, in Oregon, uh, had Meredith and Luke was Statera had just done their Kickstarter and, they set it at $10,000 and I didn't know how much money I needed. It was just like, okay, if that's what they need, that's what I need. I, you know, I didn't have any resources or like people to ask who would know. So just kind of arbitrarily chose that number. And it seemed like a doable goal. Um, and the Kickstarter raised money really fast. It exceeded its goal on Kickstarter. And then I also got a bunch of private donations from people who didn't want to go through Kickstarter, um, which was super exciting at the beginning to see like these 70 or 80 people support me right off the bat, um, even when they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. And that list of original mailing list people that 80 people have been like the basis of margins for years and it's really just in the last six months that margins is outside of that small zone of people um getting supported financially through people buying who don't know me or weren't connected to this kickstarter in some way um so it really was just friends and family and i think there's five people on there that i don't know and I decided to list them all because um, it's part of 
this idea of transparency that I would love to see more in the wine industry, specifically in natural wine, because we are so small. Like, it always makes me sad on podcasts related to wine when no one asks the person how they got their money. Like, this is the most important part of what we do. It's so capital intensive at the beginning. And like, you can't talk about any of the values you have wine-wise until you talk about where your money came from. Um, So my money is from friends and family who wanted to see me succeed. And um, $10,000 was not enough money. Uh, I worked full-time for, I don't know, two or three years um, while I was getting margins off the ground and then had a bunch of part-time jobs when I couldn't work full-time anymore. And I still barely pay myself. Um, but, you know, those those original people spread the word and more and more people are buying. And like one day this will be a viable business. And it's really all thanks to this original group of people. That's amazing. So I have so many follow-up questions. Uh, but one that um, you jumped out at me uh, while, while you were just kind of sharing that story was that when you pitched your original vision, so many of your friends and family wanted to support you. They weren't quite sure what it was that you were up to, but they just believed in you and and sort of like the vision that you cast and they wanted to get behind it. I want to hear from you, like, what was your original vision for margins? Like, we've talked about sort of like the practical, but like, what was it like once you finally were like, okay, no, I am going to do this wine thing and I've gone to school for it and I'm going to start my own business, not just make wine for somebody else. Like, what was the vision that sort of initially captivated you? Um, Yeah, so it's changed a little bit as the years have passed, but a lot of things are still exactly the same. Um, Originally, like long, long time ago, like 2012 and pre, my vision was um, like wanting to do everything super boutique art. Like a friend could blow the bottle, like glass blow the bottles. And then another friend who did like copper jewelry could do a neck decoration for every bottle with beads. Um, And this is like my, you know, kind of silly, silly white hippie girl background showing. Um, I'm proud to still still be that person, but not quite all the way uh, that I was (laughs) during this time. And like, I was like, oh, everything should be done by hand and hand bottling. And like each label can be like, you know, we won't use a printer. We'll just like have an artist do thousands of these and all of those things are like kind of crazy. And some people think that um, those things are possible and some people have made them possible, but those things take money, which I did not realize. Like if you get to do that, it's not because you're like, or sorry it's not because you're an artist with like a really boutique vision it's because you're super privileged financially to be able to pay those people for their time and you know that's not me um so besides that um I was trying to cultivate a workplace that I wanted to be part of originally and that's still something that I'm working on um the idea for margins like kind of became full-fledged for me in 2014 when I was working in the Loire in France and I just loved the work culture like 
just want to say that I don't speak any French, so I didn't really know what was going on. So maybe it was totally different than <laughs> what I thought. But what I felt was that we were treated as like, I guess, independent humans who were who were there to work, but we weren't just workers. Um, so some things that I really liked were getting to be at lunch for two hours. Uh, I'm a very relaxed in the middle of the day type of person. And um, having that time to like take a nap or just chill for an hour after eating was really valuable to me. And I loved the way it, it encouraged people to just hang out together and get to know each other and um, not have this feeling of like work chasing you and you're running from it all the time which is such our American concept of um having a job I guess which I've I've never liked I I move pretty slowly most of the time like I'm consistent but I'm certainly not one to hurry and I really liked that about France um and I wanted I wanted to feel that here I was so tired of being scolded and bossed around by people that aren't even my boss just mostly kind of shitty men in the wine production field who are on a power trip and they want to make someone feel bad and like that someone was always me and I wanted I want to when I have employees which I don't yet create a workplace that people actually want to be at where it's okay to say to your boss like hey, the way that you're treating me right now is not making me want to work very hard for you. And without this fear of getting fired, because like, you know, in wine, things get really tense because we're on a tight time deadline. Everyone's tired. They've been working, you know, 30 days in a row for 12 hours a day and like tensions run high, but you shouldn't be able to like have your boss walk all over you without being able to call them out. Um, if they're being horrible. So something like that, like wine to me is starting this business is much more about those aspects for me than the wine. And like, I love the wine. I'm definitely making the type of wines that I want to drink. However, I'm not interested in wine quite the way other people are. Like, I don't know how to pronounce any of the French names. I also don't care. I'm not going to learn that. Um, I like drinking those wines, but I'm never going to memorize the name and talk about it with someone. I just, I enjoyed it for myself and like the end, no need, like maybe I'll take a picture and recommend it, but I'm not going to like throw it into a conversation so that people know that I've had that wine. It's very not me. Um, and uh, yeah, I I want to cultivate a, a work life that I want to be part of, I guess. I love that. So you mentioned um, that you want to cultivate, you know, a workplace, a work life that you want to be a part of. Tell us about sort of your workplace today. Like, what's it like? Who is who's involved? Who's there? You don't uh, you don't have any direct employees uh, at this time, but I imagine, like, I mean in being in wine myself, um, you know, there is so much, uh, uh, reliance and, uh, you know, relationships are a necessity in wine. Who are the people that you work with, that you count on, uh, that you collaborate with? Like, tell us a little bit about your community and your workplace. 
Yeah. Um, the person that I spend the most time with is Larry, um, who's the owner of the vineyard that I co-farm. Uh, it's called Makovich Vineyard. And I only farm that one vineyard with Larry. It's two acres in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And he and I, he's in his 70s, and he and I do all the farming together. We don't use a crew at all, except we bring in friends for harvest, of course. But um, all the other tasks we do. And um, over the last year and a half, uh, we've really been working more deeply together on the farming. I've worked with him for three years buying the fruit, but it really in the last year and a half have been uh, become really involved in the farming. And uh, we just, we don't make a schedule. Larry doesn't have internet. So um, we don't know when we're going to see each other. We just go when there's work and uh, I show up whenever and he shows up whenever and sometimes we overlap and sometimes we don't. Um, but most of the time we're just out there chatting and he tells me stories of uh, the old Santa Cruz days. Uh, he's been in this area forever. Um, <laughs> and he and I would have been really good friends regardless of our ages. Um, we're good friends now, but if we were, you know, within a 40 year age bracket we would have been just absolute besties and I love spending time with him um I really rely on him for, for the spraying of the, the vineyard last year we split the sprays um but it really ended up not making sense this year mostly for like COVID I didn't want to be touching uh like the steering wheel and the gear shift and everything uh, just because of his age uh so he did all the spraying and then I did all most of the manual work and of course he helped too like all the leaf pulling and shoot thinning and everything that we do you know out there every week at least three days a week sometimes more um and I love being out there and part of why I love being out there is because it's not a workplace like I go there when I want to go if I don't want to go there I don't go there and that keeps the feeling of the place um, kind of pure instead of like dreading being there. And besides him, I am really mostly alone doing like my wine work. Um, during harvest, as you know, uh, I've worked in this cohort for the last couple of years in Santa Cruz. Um, and that's been crucial to all of our success because we used each other for free labor. Uh, myself, uh, Ryan Sturm, who has the lease on the building, James of uh, Flores Wines and Brent of Stagiaire. So James and I were friends from college uh, at Davis and Ryan and I kind of thought about getting to do this thing together. And it didn't, we didn't think it was possible, then all of a sudden it was. So um, kind of going back to what I was saying about like checking in with yourself about where you're at and what things like didn't seem like realities and now are. Um, and then Brent came to help us one time for pruning and he just stuck around after that. Um, so besides helping each other with labor, we elevated each other by being associated, you know, and that was, I'm a very group oriented person even though I like to spend time alone like I've never wanted my own winery space I I find that very lonely like I like having other people around and 
working in that space had, of course, plenty of challenges because you're trying to do four companies in a 2,500 square foot building um, with all totally different schedules. But ultimately, it raised us all like to the point that we're at now. And we're just starting to kind of jump off from that. Um, this year, I'm not going to be making wine there. I'm growing way too much. I don't fit in that facility anymore. And I'm in the process of permitting my own winery space um, to be shared, but it's still in the permitting process. So I don't know how it's going to go, but it's in Santa Cruz County. And that's kind of why I was saying I felt like I'd graduated to this new spot in the, in the wine industry, or at least in my career, because um, I've come out of this wonderful group collective and kind of into the big leagues of like possibly getting to have my own space for like the next 15 years um, and having a not only the stability of being able to predict like rent financials versus what we normally see in the wine industry, which is getting charged per ton that you process. So there's like very little incentive to grow because you just keep paying more and more money but instead having this like fixed rent rate and being able to increase the financial success of the business in that way and thereby get to make more wine and keep doing what we're doing, it's, which it's, takes money. It takes money. <laughs> and that is the hamster wheel in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So, um, cool. Well, I, uh, I, I love that overview. Thanks for sharing. Um, what is the thing that you wished you could go back and tell yourself, I get three, five years ago in 2012, like what you know now uh, that you're getting to the point now where you're graduating to the big leagues, uh, you're moving into your own facility, um, things are starting to work. Is there something that you wish you could go back and tell yourself in 2012 uh, that would have, um, you know, provided you with some, you know, solace for your journey of these past few years? Yeah, I think it would have been really helpful if someone had told me that there's no upward trajectory in the wine industry unless you work for a factory company or you own your own business. Um, I don't understand why that, like I went to wine school. Why did no one, we had guest speakers all the time, like this seems like a crucial part of information, you know, tidbit of information, like um, for example, in Santa Cruz, I had got into the highest level that I could get before starting margins, and I was only making $25 an hour. And I was running a cellar for a 5,000 case winery, <clears throat> not as the cellar master, but as the assistant winemaker, just coordinating, coordinating everything and doing all the work and delegating some of that work to the other employees and feeling like I had learned enough to be able to start a company. Hey, uh, I did. Um, but still only making $25 an hour and being continually told like, you should be happy you're getting that. That's really good for this area where it's like, oh man, like I have a four-year education in the chemistry of wine and my friends who were equally academically successful as me are you know in their mid-20s and are making six figures and I'm gonna make 20 like I'm gonna cap at $25 an hour like why did I do this <laughs> um 
But I think if I had been told from the beginning that it was going to be like that, that I would have um, been less resentful during my journey. <laughs> right. You just like you were resentful because you had been set up and no one shot you straight. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I just kept thinking like, oh, cool. Like I'm going to keep working my way up and like, I'm going to be making a living wage, which I consider to be at least 80K in the area of California that I live in. Um, and like, of course I'll get there. But the reality is like, no, no one gets there. Like, that's not a thing that can happen unless you're working for a huge conglomerate factory winery or you're owning your business. But I, I just, I don't like this idea that, and it's really in line with what's going on right now. Like anything is possible. Like you just have to dream it. Like, no, not for most of us. <laughs> like that's not like, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have someone that was vouching for me. My parents weren't connected to anyone who could help me um, in the wine industry. And also my parents aren't connected to very many wealthy people who have those types of connections. So it was if you don't have that, you're really on your own. And um, I, I think it's a, it's a really good experience to come through. And of course you, you know, everyone loves to say like, oh, but you went through the journey and you have so much um, more skills now. Sure. But um, I may have not chosen to go through this journey had I had a realistic idea of what I was actually getting into. I get it. So this is your chance. You are like, let's just say someone's listening to this podcast. Now you're the guest speaker. And this is your chance to tell our listeners um, who may want, who may think that they want to make wine for a living. This is your chance to tell them what you wish you would have been told. What do you have for them? Um, if you, uh, yeah, I would say make wine in a state that is not California. Why? Because um, because I think that the cost of living in most other places is conducive to how much money you're going to make from your wine job as you move up. And also, if you decide you want to start your own thing, like you might get to buy some land one day or you might not be paying an arm and a leg for rent and might be able to invest a little more money into starting your business. Um, I just feel like things are more possible in other places. Um, and California is slowly becoming this tiny tunnel where only a, a few people can get through like one at a time. And I, I feel like I'm on the end of that almost because like even the area that I live in, in Santa Cruz, rents have increased here dramatically just in the last five years that I've lived here. Um, so it just doesn't seem to be getting any, any easier. Do you see yourself ever? So like margins wine, right? Underrepresented grapes, regions, varietals. Do you ever see yourself making wine somewhere other than California? Well, originally when I set up margins, I, I picked that slogan because I assumed that I would move back to Oregon and that margins would become an Oregon company. Um, but things went really well for me in Santa Cruz. And the reason is because there's no competition for what we do here. There's lots of wineries, but 
they're super high end for the most part and they're like old family wineries so they either have owned their land for a long time or their their um sales pressures or financial pressures are very different than mine and the other young people who work in Santa Cruz of which there's only five of us <laughs> um experience but basically there's this age gap from like 30 to 45 of winemakers in Santa Cruz because for that 15 years um rent and uh just land and everything in Santa Cruz was becoming totally outrageous because of how close we are to Silicon Valley and the internet was blowing up so property were prices were going through the roof and all of these people who were starting wine businesses left and they went to like Monterey or more south affordable areas which left this like wide open playing field for myself and the other guys that I work with to come in like five years ago and be like oh no one here is doing what we do um which has been great because instead of being competitors we uh, have, like I said before, we've been associated with each other and elevated each other. Like, it's not like one people only drink one producer of wine. Like, they drink a bunch of producers of wine. And if they're interested in exploring uh, an area, they can be like, oh, these producers kind of do the same thing. Like, let's try it. Versus it doesn't really work that way with all the other wineries that have been in Santa Cruz because it's mostly high-end Pinot Noir for $50 to $150 a bottle. And there's not a lot of distinction for consumers between those brands like not saying the wines aren't different of course they vary in quality but it's hard for just an outsider to realize um like one the the distinction of that one brand versus another but then you of like 50 companies but then you have four or five of us doing the same thing and they're like oh that's that's manageable like i want to see what they're doing Interesting. So essentially you're part of a cohort of five younger sort of creative progressive winemakers up against like the blue bloods that have been there forever and are just like really kind of stuck in a particular style and uh, a, a particular tradition that is very sort of like rigid and inflexible. And you guys are just like, hey, we're making we're making cool wines from grapes you've never heard of in a place that you'd never believe. Yeah. And and like it's I'm not sad that Santa Cruz is stuck in in the way that it's stuck. Like this is an amazing area for Pinot Noir. And I totally understand why companies are focusing on that. Um, especially like the old guard, you know, but it, it does make me sad that that um, made so many other producers who weren't doing that or didn't have access to get to do that, to leave this area. And I, I often think like, not that we're the most important people, but we will have a historical role in the Santa Cruz wine industry. Like there's, there's no way we won't um, just because of how long it's been since new people have come to do this here. And I kind of have been wondering, like, is there even anyone after us? Like, did we get the only opportunity that was left in Santa Cruz <laughs> to get to do this? And we just got really lucky because, um, like, there's no one coming up behind us here yet. And uh, that's, again, like something that I would love to get to be part of when I can finally afford to have someone work with me, I would love to 
give someone the support that I never had in any of my jobs. Um, and to, I don't know, share my space in the building and get to, I don't know, get to have me, but younger, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Right. I love that. I think that's really cool. So um, let's kind of shift a little bit here. You mentioned earlier that you didn't have a mentor, especially early on in your career as a winemaker to provide uh, you with advice that you, that frankly, you wish that you had and then that you could have had. Um, and that that sort of is inspiring you um, both now in your conscience, but also, uh, you know, you're, you're preparing yourself in the future to be able to share, you know, share the wealth, share the knowledge that you gain with others behind you. So who are, you know, in the absence of a mentor, who are some folks that had been sort of influential uh, or helpful or a source of uh, inspiration to you along the way? Um, Yeah. So there's two really important people in my wine industry career. One is Ryan Beauregard in Santa Cruz who let me start margins when I was working full-time for him as assistant winemaker. Um, That this wouldn't have been possible unless he let me do it. So definitely in debt to him. And the person that really uh, put me on the career track and wine that I'm on now was Grant Coulter, um, who owns Hundred Sons Wine with his wife, Renee, in Oregon. Um, at the time, Grant was the winemaker at Beaufort, and I interned there in 2013. Um, he hired me on the phone without ever meeting me, and I was in a really tough living situation at that time. And even though... I was only 22. I was at this like life crisis of like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And and I think a lot of people feel that way when they graduate college. Like, even though I had like theoretically so expertly chosen this career path to go down, I still had that feeling of like, wow, the possibilities are endless and they're so endless that there's really no possibilities because I don't even know where to start. Um, and I don't know what I would have done if they didn't hire me. He didn't hire me on the phone. Um, so I got there and he was like, okay, you're the summer biodynamics coordinator. Like, here's the BD supplies. Like, here's the ATV, go learn and go spray. And I was very timid because I had worked in shitty wine jobs mostly at that point in Napa and was used to people treating me like absolute shit being like oh you can't do anything like clean the drain and here's this like young successful winemaking man being like oh yeah you can do it like just go and I was like but I don't know I don't know anything about biodynamics it's like just learn it and then do it like you can't do it wrong it's just plant sprays you know and I I think actually that's a really good tidbit of advice is like you can't do it wrong like especially in the wine industry like everyone's just trying so hard to like there's a specific way to be and in natural wine too you know and if like you're not this type of cool or this type of wine or this type of whatever then like you just don't fit but it's just not true like there's no wrong way to do it um so that was great for me learning the biodynamics and like getting more into the farming at the time being only 22 and 
while Beaufort isn't natural wine, they were certainly um, on that train at the time. It was all native fermentation, unfined, unfiltered, um, really high quality Pinot Noir. And I loved working there and I loved working for Grant. Um, it's the be- He's the best boss I've ever had. Um, he recommended all of these wineries in California to me to check out and like it was before natural wine is in California what it is now like there were only a few it was like the natural process alliance and scolium project and like the very uh early on natural wine people and I was like I've never even heard of these and I even though I went to wine school and he shared those wines with me and got me interested in what I should have already been interested in from the beginning, but I didn't know existed. Like I got out of college being like, I'm a a mega leftist really into the environment. Like, I'm going to go work at Napa in Napa for like these wines for $300 a bottle. And, you know, just a totally different sector of society because I thought that that was the only thing that existed. I didn't know about this whole other area. And like, Maybe that's partly my fault for not doing a good job researching, but I also think that responsibility lies in like the people who have come before you to teach you about that. And even at the time, it was almost like, oh, only a certain group of people get to even know about this. So we're not going to talk with you about it. And I'm really glad that natural wine has become so much more accessible to like a random person now just a normal person my parents drink natural wine they know what it is and that never would have been the case (laughs) even five years ago that's amazing and it sounds like you are sort of conscious of your responsibility to keep sort of sharing uh you know from the wealth that is your experience that you've accumulated sort of for yeah easier uh you know there's obviously easier ways to accumulate the information that you have and that you have an obligation to share that with others um but i'm so thankful for this conversation and that we're not sort of just carrying on about uh your time spent in the Loire and what was the favorite winery that you visited and that instead we're having like a real conversation about sort of life uh, and and how to navigate it in wine. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and I do think just like what you just said, uh, wine, wine industry, lots of industries, but definitely the wine industry is so relationship focused. And like, I know for a fact that if if I hadn't enjoyed my internship at Beaufort with Grant as much as I did, that I would not be working in the wine industry. Like that was my final straw. Like I've had so many bad experiences already working in this industry and I don't want to go to a workplace every day where no one thinks I can do anything. Like that doesn't feel good at the beginning of your career. And I was kind of using this, this Oregon opportunity with them as a, deciding factor to tip the scales one way or another and because of that relationship like margins exist plus many things in between but you know if I hadn't met Grant and then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now that's pretty cool yeah so um are there any, um, you know, we've kind of been like dancing around the edges of, of the, um, 
uh, uh, sort of obligation uh, that you have, that we have to share what, what we've learned through our experiences with others uh, in an effort to uh, you know, better their chances of success, whatever that might be, um, and perhaps not even success, but just access to information. Um, you know that that in a sense we that we have and owe to them. Um, so that that kind of like to my mind, I, I think is a cool opportunity. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I want to make sure that in addition to telling stories, um, you know, about ourselves and about wine, um, that w- that we kind of get beyond that a little bit. And I, I feel like our conversation already really has in so many ways. But just um, are are there any um, are, are there any sort of like social issues uh, that are particularly near and dear to your heart? I, I know in the world that we live in right now, it's yeah. um, it's so easy to point out uh, you know uh, problems, uh, injustices, things that need to be better. Um, but but are there any are there any issues um, you know that are that are that are close to your heart and that you're involved in? Yeah, I'm, that's a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately for obvious reasons. Um, like, how can I be better? How can I use the money that I barely have wisely? <laughs> and more importantly, what can I do in the future when when I have that money to make real change? Because, like, I I don't want to make it seem like I only think money is powerful. I don't. I think spirit and emotions are very powerful and I'm definitely an actor on my emotions, less logical sometimes, but money is what changes things in the country that we live in. Um, And like, I don't have that yet. Um, I have privilege in lots of other ways but I'm not I'm not I'm like sad to report that I'm not quite at the point where I feel like I'm capable of making real change um you know money and time and those are two things that that I don't have because I'm a one-person show and during Occupy I was boots on the ground like during all the protests I was at Davis during the pepper spraying incident those were all my housemates and was very involved in that political scene um and I'm not able to be in the same way now mostly because I'm farming a vineyard that takes precedent for me over over all the other things that I could be doing and Part of that is because of what the future of that represents for me. Like when I feel bad that I am not boots on the ground anymore protesting, I have to keep pushing myself to look forward because what I'm trying to do is have this thing to that exists beyond the time that we're in to bring people in, to teach them, um, to get them to a point where they don't, they've learned everything they can from me and they go off and do their own things. And that, which is, you know, a year or a couple of years in the future of, of getting, and what, what I mean by that specifically is getting to bring in interns who wouldn't normally get a chance 
um, because they're from whatever marginal space in society and teach them. And that thing in the future starts with me showing up at the vineyard now. And I feel like I have a, like, not that I'm more important than anyone who's boots on the ground now, but you know, we're all in different places um, and in where we can make the most difference in society. And I feel like the place that I can make the most difference is getting women, people of color, any other minority into wine production and grape growing. And like, for me, that's not like this um, eventual dream goal. Like that's a very tangible, close goal in the next few years. And I'm putting everything I can into getting to do that. Um, sure. And I, and I think it's so cool like that. I can hear like that sort of like that practicality that you shared at the very beginning kind of coming through, uh, you know, in, in all aspects of your vision. Um, you mentioned that sort of money uh, has the power to incite change and then also uh, time. Um, you know, I, I kind of always think of it as, um, you know, like a three, uh, a three pronged, uh, uh, I guess, layers of influence that we have, which are time, talent, and resources. So, you know, obviously resources are scarce and so is time, but I think it sounds to me that you have, um, you know, a clear vision and abundance of talent. And as sort of those other two uh, areas of, of influence build, um, you know, there's, there's some really cool opportunities, uh, you know, maybe not today or tomorrow, but ultimately to kind of use, um, you know, what, uh, what you have access to, to kind of provide uh, opportunities for others. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm especially like always looking forward to that and especially lately um, looking forward to that um, might be the most important part of margins that like I didn't even realize until yeah. recently. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's ready-made and I think that, you know, as all of our eyes are continue, you know, our eyes are continually open, our ears are open, our hearts are open. Um, you know, there's there's constantly new opportunities to reinvent, and it's not um, so much as you know. I'm preaching to the choir. An opportunity to, um, you know, sort of capitalize on a situation, but, you know, right. frankly, in a world with, uh, you know, no shortage of need, uh, you know, when things do bubble to the surface and captivate sort of the, the, the world's attention, um, you know, it creates um, call to action uh, and it, or at least it ought to. Uh, and uh, so I think it's a really cool opportunity to, to reinvent uh, our businesses, uh, to re-envision what the future of our businesses look like and to better understand the ultimate purpose that, you know, that they hold. Mm -hmm. So yeah. cool. Well, that's, uh, that's some heavy stuff for sure. Um, what do you do for fun? <laughs> um, well, I don't, I have all, the part of the reason that I wanted to start my own company was because I don't, um, separate my life like that. I am, I work a little during the day and then I relax a little, work a little, relax a little. I'm not, I don't get up early. I'm not on that type of schedule type of person. I very like what needs to get done, make a, 
a plan of it on the calendar in advance. And as long as whatever got done that day, like use the rest of the day for whatever. Um, so your life is awesome. Can I just say that? <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I love going to the vineyard. That's very fun to me. I usually have a podcast on um, while I'm working. Uh, unless I'm with Larry, then we're just talking. But like I said, I, I don't go there when I feel this like pressure of like, oh, I have to work. I want to enjoy my time there. Um, I live in a really beautiful place. I spend a lot of time with my property mates. Um, we have a nice hot tub. I like to read in the hot tub. I love reading, um, hiking around, going to the beach. Um, I've been skimboarding a little bit lately because I have time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like when we're allowed to see people, like seeing people, but really I'm I'm a pretty pretty solo person and just getting to be by myself, relaxing at home is fun to me. So cool. So this is the brutal podcast and part of um what I want to become a tradition of this podcast is to, uh, well, just to give you a little backstory first, uh, Brutal, uh, you know, as you know, uh, has uh, some increasing relevance in the natural wine world, um, but I don't really want to delve into that much. I, I think I just think it's it's kind of cool that it, it that there is some relevance, but really, Brutal is a word that uh, my sisters uh, and I, particularly growing up, always used to describe. Uh, something that was just like so bad it was funny like somebody would say something that was just so uncomfortable or awkward or out of place and you just couldn't help but laugh and we would say like oh that was brutal you know um, <laughs> so uh I, I i'm wondering do you have a, a a story or something that sort of like happened in in your wine journey or or whatever uh that was just like that was so bad at the time that you can look back now on and it was just hilarious. Um, yeah, I feel like I only have poo stories in this department. Um, <laughs> so many, <laughs> I, I mean, all my friends know this, but I can't, I can't hold my poo. So I have like a, a 30 second warning and it results in all kinds of uh, <laughs> adventures in that way. And I, I live with a three-year-old daughter and <laughs> Nelly and Megan Bell have more in common than I knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll tell, this isn't wine related, but this is an oldie is so old that it's funny now. Um so I was visiting my, this is in college, I was visiting a friend of mine at another college, and uh, at the college that I went to, I was in, like, a leftist co-op, and, like, took social responsibility very seriously, and at this college, it was a Southern California party college, and I decided that I was just going to get to be a different person <laughs> for a night, and went to a frat party, and got really drunk and um in the morning when I woke up uh in my friend's room I was sleeping in her roommate's bed and she was who was out of town and she was in her bed and I woke up and I was like oh why are my feet so dirty and she was like that's not dirt 
<laughs> and it turned out in the middle of the night, I had pooed in the <laughs> in the center of the room on the carpet and then stepped in it and then gone back to bed. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> but, pretty brutal. <laughs> he's a very a very good friend of mine still, big supporter of margins. And um, she actually cleaned up the specimen before I even woke up. So I, I didn't believe her. <laughs> wow, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway, brutal. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, if, if we could change the the natural wine brutal con- connotation to something like this, I think that would be a very good thing for the natural wine industry. That, that is actually like a, a sort of like tertiary goal of this podcast is to like re-hijack this term and bring it back to like what I knew it as. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's great. Um, cool. So where can, uh, where can, folks connect with you. You had mentioned that, uh, you know, margins wine is, is getting around now, which is super exciting. Um, you know, for one, I'm so happy for you personally. And also, uh, for those of us who enjoy good wine, because I've had many of your offerings and, uh, it's good to know that they're getting around. How can people connect with you personally? Um, how can they connect with margins wine? Where the, where can they find your wine? What's, what's sort of the 411? Um, the thing that means the most to me is when people join the mailing list uh, at marginswine.com, just the tab that says mailing list. That's very helpful for me because, um, as we all know, like we make a lot more financial um, success when people buy directly from us. Um, that said, I greatly value all of my relationships with my distributors. They're what get the word out to people and those people join the mailing list. So definitely wouldn't be successful without them. Um, but uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at margins wine, taking uh, a break mostly from my normal uh, just hilarious internet content to focus on the serious issues that are going on right now. But um, in brighter times, you uh, highly recommend my um, my curated memes, etc. At Margins Wine, I, I, I've seen several of them, and uh, they have been pretty funny. <laughs> Thank you. And and it sounds like you have like a backlog at this point that like when you're allowed to post them again, you will fast and furious. Yeah, there's ideas happening all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for hopping on this Zoom call with me and uh, sharing some stories. It's been just, I think, first and foremost, really fun to catch up and to have something Mm -hmm. on the calendar and an opportunity to catch up with a friend. So this has been really cool. And uh, I very much look forward to the opportunity when we can uh, all get together again in real life. and uh, yeah, so thank you. I uh, want to thank everybody who ultimately listens to this podcast. Uh, please follow Margins Wine and uh, join the mailing list. Uh, definitely some, some really cool wines that are coming from the margins in California. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Uh, and I will be releasing a new episode every Monday, hopefully. Wish me luck. Um, That's all I got. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Drew.